Greetings Patriots, this is Perry Green with God in America. And as you know, we've been branching out into our interviews over the last few weeks. And we've done some preacher interviews and some business people interviews. And, uh, and today I'm in the office of Senator Jake Merrick. And he is one of our conservative senators in Oklahoma. And I am grateful, Senator Merrick, for your time. I thank you for letting us come and be with you today. Absolutely, thank you for having me. Oh, it's, it's a privilege. We have just been talking before we started the interview, and I wanted uh, Senator Merrick to just give us some of the background, some of his background as far as his life and things that brought him into the, the Senate. So, Senator, if you'd just tell us yeah. a little bit about you. Absolutely, well, I can say this, it was not on my radar. It was not my life's plan to be in politics. In fact, it wasn't on my wife's plan either. Okay. <laughs> and so when we came to this decision, which I'll get to in a minute, but you know, she had said at least twice in our marriage, I'm so glad we're not called to politics. Oh, wow. Yeah, and because ministry is hard enough. Right. And we had some friends that were in politics, and they would always give us the inside scoop of what's going on. And, and we would leave there saying, oh, so glad we're not called to politics. <laughs> and here we are. But, you know, I've learned that as you follow God, just without reservation, you just never know where he's going to take you. And I tell people all the time that if you think the Christian life is boring, you're doing it wrong. That's true. You're doing it wrong. It's the adventure of a lifetime that goes into eternity, but you just never know where he's going to take you. And so I grew up, I was born in western Oklahoma, grew up in west Texas, son of a cotton farmer and an entrepreneur. So I was raised in a house where... My, we moved 23 times in my 18 years wow. growing up, just my father chasing dreams and ideas and jobs. And, and that's kind of the environment I grew up in where we had a very close-knit type family, but there was constant shifting and changes of schools, of, of mm -hmm. cities and towns. And, right. and it was really just the pursuit, my father's pursuit of the next thing. He's an inventor and has invented numerous patented tools. Oh. And, and so now I'm in business with him also. My brother and I have a, a business that we've, we contract with his business to do the marketing and sales of some specialty sockets. But that was kind of my, how I was raised and also with a strong faith foundation. So I was baptized, born again and baptized when I was six years old, raised in church my whole life, mm -hmm. felt the call to ministry when I was 14. And, you know, our family, we sang Southern gospel music together and we also rodeoed. And so we would end up going to Cowboy Church on the weekend and singing Southern Gospel music on the, the Cowboy Church and the, in the bleachers at the rodeo. And so, you know, that pursuit of the call took me to Dallas Baptist University where I did my undergrad in biblical studies. Went down the road after that to Fort Worth to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Did my Master's of Divinity there. And the whole time I'm sitting there saying, What's next? With no real clear understanding of what the call entailed. True. Um, you know, I'm going to Bible school and seminary just to try to figure out what this whole call thing is about. Had no heritage in, in ministry, no real direction, just kind of feeling my way along, asking the Lord, say, what's next? And, and so outside of seminary, then I was looking at church planting and was going through an internship for church planting. At the same time, I got trained to certify, I mean, I got certified to train, uh, do personal training in health and fitness. Mm -hmm. And so I became a certified personal trainer, and I did that to be bivocational, to work with people while I'm planting a church and also have a source of income. 
And so this was the path I was on for the next 12 years of the, the personal training became a full-time ministry and job and owned a couple of gyms, working with people. And really the Lord started to show me how the man is made up of three parts, spirit, soul, body. And they may come in wanting help with their, their physical transformation, but in order to do that, we have to work on the mindset and the emotions. And in order to get there, that takes us inevitably to the spirit, right. to the one's purpose and identity. And so I'm still very passionate about health and fitness. I have a nonprofit that I work with now dealing with that realm of helping people. We help subsidize the cost of services that insurance doesn't provide for, like personal training and life coaching and nutritional counseling. And so I always have multiple irons in the fire, as you can tell, but it's all really about people. And so at, at the same time, I owned a gym up in Deer Creek, West Edmond area. Then I also started helping co-pastor a church up there. We helped for about four years co-pastor this church, discipling. The gym was a big outreach ministry for us. And then the Lord took us from there to Tulsa. We were on staff at a church out in Tulsa for four years. And while we we're in Tulsa, the Lord started stirring us to disciple people in prayer. So we started, we found ourselves driving out to Western Oklahoma, driving out to Southern Oklahoma, mm. responding to hunger as people called us, my wife and I saying, you know, we just want to grow, but there's really, we don't know where to reach out to. And there's no ministers that are helping us and we don't feel like we're getting it in our church. And so we would drive out and meet with them and we would just pray with them. And we started discipling these people across the state. Okay. And so suddenly we said, it was clear that God was calling us to, to move, to relocate. So we relocated from Tulsa to Oklahoma City. The vision, our vi vision and our finite knowledge was to be centrally located, but to work from Oklahoma City to reach the whole state. And we wanted to see revival and still want to see revival break out in Oklahoma. And we were praying about how to get prayer into the capital. We wanted to bring prayer into the capital. So in this whole pursuit of God and praying it out, then he, he positioned us out in northwest Oklahoma City. And at the same time, he, it was this stirring in my spirit to run for Congress. So it was completely not on our radar, not something I was pursuing, but I couldn't get it out of my mind. I was constantly drawn to this particular race. And we knew we got in prayer and I said, I told my wife, listen, I have constant anxiety about missing this deadline to enter this race. And I don't know where this is coming from, but we need to pray this out. So we got on our knees and prayed together. And we came out of prayer and I asked my wife, well, did you hear anything? And she said, he told me he has to run. I know, it gives me goosebumps still. It, uh, so I knew coming from her especially, it was God. Yeah. And so we put together $1,000 that we didn't have, came down to the Capitol, and entered the race. No clue what we're doing, except we're just walking in obedience. And from there, God began to bring people into our life that helped us form a, a volunteer base, helped us understand how to develop a platform. And all I knew was that we need more God in America. Right. You know, we needed to make Christ center again, and, and that was the ultimate answer is we had to go deep to the foundation and, and return to uh, this foundation that the, the forefathers laid that we've drifted so far from. Right. And so 
you know, that, that was our entrance into politics. And we went all over Oklahoma County, Pottawatomie County, Seminole County, reaching to the outer edges, to the places nobody goes that I didn't even know existed until we got into the race, like Asher, Oklahoma, at the bottom of Seminole County, right. you know, out in Wawoka, out, out east. I mean, in meeting amazing people. And so we, for two and a half months, we did this. We campaigned hard and heavy for Congress. And out of nine candidates, it was a stacked race. We came in fifth. And I was completely satisfied. I said, we were obedient. We gave everything we had. We, we just went out and met people, and loved on people, and told them what we were doing, what the vision was. And we came in fifth, but I knew we had done everything we were supposed to do. And so as far as I was concerned, I was done. Right. Okay, Lord, I ran, I'm done. But little did I know that it was actually the whole first race was just to prepare me for the second race. And so Stephanie Bice ended up victorious and she was a sitting state senator in District right. 22, right. where I now lived in District 22. So she had to vacate her state senate seat to go to Congress. So there I was in perfect position to run for this seat. People started asking me, are you running for this? Are you running for this? I said, listen, I, I, I got to hear from God. That's why I got in the first race. And so sure enough, we, we started praying about it. It was confirmed. Yes, the first race was to prepare you for the second. Wow. And so now we had a lot more experience, a lot more understanding, and a lot more name recognition. And so we, we jumped in, my wife and I. And again, God surrounded us with the right volunteers. He showed us a lot of things about the politics in general. And we all know that, that the, the challenge is how to avoid corruption. That's the thing that everybody's skeptical of is, you know, are they going to live up to what they say? Are they going to, you know, they're campaigning for one thing. Are they going to actually vote that way when they get in there? And the Lord started showing me that it starts in the race. Mm, okay. It starts in the campaign. I heard from a lot of very well-meaning Christian conservatives who said, we love you. We need somebody like you in office but you can't do anything until you get in office. So there may be some things you have to compromise on to get into office. Right. Well, immediately there's a, a check, there's a pullback. And I said, no, how you start will be how you finish. Right. If I compromise now in order to get in office, then once I'm in office, I'm changed. I'm a different person. And so there's no guarantee I'm going to do what needs to be done once I'm in office. And I knew that the Holy Spirit was showing me that. And so there was a resolve to have zero compromise, that I would have one message, it would be exactly what I believe, and when I get in office, there'll be no surprise to anyone. Right. I campaigned on this, you voted me in, this is exactly how I'm going to legislate. Uh, one of the key issues there was abortion. Uh, Oklahoma is really leading the nation as an abolitionist in the abolitionist movement. Right. Would you talk about the difference between abolitionist and pro-life? Absolutely. You know, this is where there's a lot of interest and a lot of pushback. What I found in the race was I got a survey from Oklahomans for Life. So it's the largest pro-life organization in Oklahoma, been around 40 years. And so I got their survey and I was told that if you do not score 100 on this survey, it's going to work against you. It could cost you the race because conservatives want pro-life legislation. Right. That's a priority. Well, guess what? I'm 100% pro-life. And I say pro-life in quotation marks because what I've learned in this process 
is that pro-life legislation is not ending abortion. In fact, that's not even its goal. The goal of pro-life legislation is not to end abortion. It's to regulate abortion. So we've passed 200, over 250 pro-life laws in Oklahoma over the last 40 years. Right. Abortion is growing in Oklahoma. Really? Texas just made a radical move so that the report is that they have effectively ended abortion in Texas. It gives individuals the right to sue abortion clinics or anyone associated with abortion. And so it's effectively shutting down most abortion clinics in Texas. Well, guess where they're coming? Mm. Right over the Red River. Okay. They're flooding into Oklahoma. I just heard yesterday that an abortion clinic in Oklahoma City is backed up two weeks because they're taking in so many people from Texas. How about that? So what are we doing? What are we accomplishing with pro-life legislation? Last year, we passed into law four pro-life bills. There's the heartbeat bill. Once a heartbeat is discovered, then you cannot perform the abortion. That only an OBGYN can perform an abortion. That if someone performs an abortion, then it would be considered unprofessional conduct. So if someone takes a life, it's considered unprofessional conduct, and the penalty is you can lose your license. So we have leg legislation like that that was passed last year. I was introduced to the abolitionist idea when I was running for Congress. I always thought I was completely against abortion until it was told to me that, hey, look, I it was explained to me exactly what I explained there, is that right. pro-life legislation is not ending abortion. And so there is a movement that has one agenda, and that is to end abortion right. without compromise, and right. that's called the abolitionist movement. Right. It's similar to the movement that happened with slavery many years ago, right. where they decided, hey, we're not going to regulate slavery anymore. We're not going to decide who can be sold and for how much, and should we keep families together, and at what age. No, we're just going to say it's wrong to own people. And so we effectively ended slavery in America, and that was the abolitionist movement. They were abolitionists, and so that terminology, that label has been applied to this fight against abortion right. that we want to abolish. We simply want to abolish and end the taking of innocent life in the womb. Right. I'd always thought pro-life meant that. Exactly, and most people do. And so as the message is getting out, you explain this to people in your local church, and they say, well, I guess I'm an abolitionist then. Right. Because that's what we've all assumed for years, is that's the fight, is to end abortion. But then you look at the facts... And this pro-life legislation is not ending abortion. That's right. And so what I found, to go back to what I was saying, in my campaign, not only was I introduced to the concept of abolition and the ineffectiveness of the pro-life bills, pro-life laws to end abortion, I was introduced to the survey. It was sent to me by the largest pro-life organization in Oklahoma, and I was told that you had to score 100% or it's going to work against you in the campaign, could cost you the campaign. And so I understood the seriousness of it. And so I get the, the survey, I answer nine out of 10. The one I, it's, it's a yes or no survey. You cannot explain your answer. You can only submit yes or no. So first question is, if we cannot overturn Roe versus Wade, will you support legislation that would make exceptions for the life of the mother and rape and incest? So if I could explain it, I would say this. The life of the mother is not part of this abortion conversation. When, when a doctor is intervening to save the life of the mother, it's a medical intervention where the goal is to save life, both the baby's life and the mother's life. 
but the doctor has to use his or her best judgment to, to save the life that's most viable. They're not going in to intentionally end the life. And so I take that conversation out of the abortion debate. We're left with rape and incest. Horrible. I hate it. I was just talking this morning with a lady whose daughter was a victim of both rape and incest. Mm. And the pain that it causes, sure. the heartache, the grief, you can, I can only imagine. It's, it's horrible. But when we're talking about the life that's in the womb now, what do we do with that? Well, that's life in the womb, human life in the womb. And it's a very difficult conversation, but if we're, if we're basing it on principle, I say there's no exception. So we must protect human life. And so I don't get to explain all that on the survey. It's yes or no. So will I support legislation that makes an exception for the life of the mother or rape and incest? Sorry, I can't, no. So that gives me a score of nine out of 10. The very next week, my opponent comes out. I'm the only pro-life candidate in this race. So you see how things are twisted. Yeah. Now, if you sit down and talk to me, you'll understand I'm over the top pro-life. In fact, I want to end abortion. Right. And so, but I don't get a chance to explain that. The, the mailers go out, now people are saying they're gonna base their vote on this mailer. Thankfully, they didn't, and I end up winning ultimately with a 65% margin. Oh, good. Because they already knew my stance on abortion, and I made it clear with additional letters and mailers, and everywhere I go, I'm talking about this issue. So. Abolition is the goal. I think it is probably the most important issue in our legislation right now because the Constitution guarantees us life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. You cannot have the pursuit of happiness without liberty, and you cannot have liberty without life. That's right. So we have to start at the most basic. If we're not protecting life, we're going to undermine liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Absolutely. So we must start at the first, life. Are we going to do what we can do to protect life? And I believe this is also a state's rights issue. So we're talking about what will we do as Oklahomans in spite of what the Supreme Court does. So if the Supreme Court rules that we must now throw two-year-olds in the river for the sake of population control, are we gonna say, well, Supreme Court ruled, we have to do it, go get little Timmy, we gotta throw him in the river. Right. Of course not. Right. Of course, and we hopefully would not also say, Supreme Court ruled, so let's do what we can to save at least the one-year-olds and under. But those from one to two, we can't do anything about it. It, it makes no sense when you take it outside the womb. Right. But when we're talking about inside the womb, it's the same principle. So when I'm looking at this heartbeat bill, it's before me on the floor, I can vote yes or no. Will I support a bill where if a heartbeat is found, then abortion cannot be performed? Sounds beautiful for those who are pro-life. The problem with it is the one looking for the heartbeat is also the one getting paid to perform the abortion. Okay, yeah. And there's no oversight. Who's looking over his shoulder right. to make sure? And it also is, it implies that the life in the womb that doesn't yet have a heartbeat is not worth saving. Right. So, you know, I'm sorry, Supreme Court ruled, so we can't save the life without a heartbeat. And so we just discard them. And so the argument is, well, we got to do what we can to save some. At least this will save lives, yes. But how much are we compromising? I believe we're compromising greatly. I believe we're still allowing abortion and we're patting ourselves on, on the back in the process. And so we have to simply say, abortion is wrong. 
We're going to make it illegal in Oklahoma. It cannot be performed. I don't care what the president or the Supreme Court says. We're a sovereign state. That's the way it was always meant to be with the federal government having few and defined powers. And they have no right to tell the, our state, to tell Oklahoma what they can and cannot do with regard to life. We've, we've declared a Oklahoma a sanctuary state for guns. Mm-hmm. I won't go that far. We've, we are a constitutional carry state. Right. And so we have the constitutional right to carry. So if the federal government says, well, you have to have this and this permit or this, this gun control law is in place, we say, well, we're a constitutional carry state. I'm sorry. We did that with marijuana. It's still a federal crime, but not in Oklahoma. You know, Oklahoma, you can, you can grow it. Of course, just medical right now, but it's not going to be long before we, That's you know, right. we'll see how long it lasts before recreational comes into the picture. But, you know, what do we do with that? It's a federal crime on one side, but it, it's allowable in Oklahoma. So why are we making allowances for these kinds of topics, but not abortion? Right. The most important. So these are the, the conversations we're having in the state. And it's growing. It's getting momentum. And... You know, we're looking at Utah, we're looking at South Dakota, now we're looking at Texas, Florida, that are having these serious conversations, South Carolina, that are considering abolitionist bills very seriously, where they're just going to draw a line and say, nope, no longer in this state. I don't care what the Supreme Court said, not in this state. And so, you know, that's where things are going. You know, we're, but we have to have people that are willing to stand up. I got a lot of pushback when I voted no on four pro-life bills. That doesn't sound very conservative to me. Right. That doesn't sound very Republican. And I had a lot of people upset, and I had to come back and explain why. Because are we going to just keep on kicking the can further down the road? Are we just going to keep on doing what's not working? So we have to, at some point, change. We have to shift lanes, shift gears, and do something different. And I believe it's abolition. Yeah. Oh, I agree. And part of the, I think, the growth of the abolition movement is just understanding what's going on. Yeah. Because I didn't understand until yeah. recently what, yeah. what's, what's happening. Exactly. And it, that's what it takes. And it takes, in the process, having compassion and having patience. I knew that two years ago, I didn't have this stance, you know? Okay. And so there are some groups that are very militant and adamant, and they've given the abolitionist movement a bad name, mm-hmm. honestly, mm-hmm. because they make no, give no consideration to those who simply don't understand and need to be educated. And so there's no need to go picket churches or call conservatives who are voting for pro-life bills baby killers. You know, I understand the argument very, very clearly, but I'm going to have patience right. with people and talk through the issues and try to convince and work with them and help vote in others that are, are like-minded right. to get them in office. But there's no reason to have these tactics that are only causing further divides and doing nothing to really advance the movement. Well, and part of your ministry background helps you do that. Absolutely. Yeah. It does. Because you, you get to work with people where right. they're at. And you understand moving them along growth-wise. They, yep. They're not where you are, but you're going to bring them along. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, I just left an amazing facility in South Oklahoma City where they are doing tremendous ministry to help those men who have committed sex crimes. Mm. Now, how many of us get excited about talking about sex crimes? Right. And we want to throw them in the ocean. We want to just dismiss them. But I just came from a facility, a, an amazing organization that is reforming. They're, we're seeing great transformation with very low recidivism rates. Mm. Good. You know, and 
I mean, we need to be getting behind things like that. Sure. Now, guess what? There's going to be people who are opposed to that simply because of the stigma. Mm-hmm. And we have to be patient with those people too to understand there is a stigma on that. And there is a reason for concern. But we also have to look at what's working and what's needed. And we, don't, we can't just throw everyone in a cell and lock, lock them up and throw away the key. We need to be about true reformation. If we truly believe the gospel, and I do, then I believe salvation is possible, redemption is possible, restoration is possible. And so this is just another argument, another, another area that needs attention in our state. But you have to overcome a lot of preconceived ideas and stereotypes and stigmas in order to make true progress there. Mm-hmm. How has prayer grown in the capital since you've been here? Oh, man. Well, it's definitely here because I'm here. That's right. <laughs> you know? And if it's going to happen anywhere, it's going to happen in this office. Okay. We were just amazed knowing what God had put in our spirit. And when we were in prayer, we just kept on being drawn to the capital. We knew without a doubt God wanted prayer in, in the capital. Prayer is powerful. And we're working with spiritual dimensions. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so understanding that spiritual dynamic, prayer needs to be in the capital, around the capital, towards the capital, dealing with the principalities and powers at work in this place. Right. And so we were wanting to just bring, get prayer in on the grounds to pray in this place, feeling that there is an importance of actually being on the grounds uh, there's prayer. It's important no matter where you're at. I can play, pray for Washington, D.C., from Oklahoma City. It's, it's powerful and important. But I believe there is a special significance to being on the property, praying and claiming this ground for Christ. And so I just had no idea that he would bring me yeah. here, you know. But he did. And once we're here, we're saying, wow, God, that's amazing yeah. what you did. We knew that we carried prayer. And he put us here for, I believe, that primary reason. Yeah, he gives you the desire of your heart. Yeah. And and you got it. He gives so. you the desire, and then he ensures that you you have the desire met. Sure. I love it. Yeah. And it's just, to me, it's just exciting. It, it chilled me when you told me this story. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just exciting that where you've been, how you've come through it all. And, and this is probably a kind of a loaded question, but do you enjoy being a senator? I really do. Okay. It's one of the things that confirms every day that I'm where I'm supposed to okay. be. I leave a long day up here charged. Oh, good. I really do. I mean, it, I know it's kingdom work. I know it's significant work. I know it's for real change. Okay. I, I'm just, I do not care about the position. I don't care about the senator's pin I get to wear around. It really doesn't matter to me. I told people when I was campaigning, if I don't win, or if now I don't get elected, I'm going to continue doing the exact same thing just in a different capacity, another right. title. But I'll be, I'll be doing the exact same thing. Kingdom work to help people is what we're called to do. And so praise God for the platform and the position I have to be able to, to affect legislation and impact laws that affect the whole state. Mm-hmm. Man, it, it is humbling beyond belief and it's sobering and I take it very serious. But I have absolute confidence that he leads. And honestly, it's no different then when I'm sitting with my daughters and I'm instructing them about life and I'm telling them, go this way, listen to me. This is the way that'll bring you life. Listen to me. It's the, I mean, how do I know? I only know by the spirit, by the wisdom he gives, but I can take that same wisdom that comes from the word and it comes from the spirit and I can apply it to legislation and I can speak with the same confidence and mm-hmm. saying, this is the right way. 
And I can say it confidently on the floor, dealing with legislation that will affect the whole state. It's not because I'm a master of law. It's because he gives us discernment about what is right. And I can say, this is right. And I absolutely know it because I know the voice of God. That's absolutely right. Also, one of the pushbacks I've seen over the years is, especially among churches, is we don't want to get involved yeah. in the politics. And you have leapt from church into politics. Right. So what about separation of church and state? And Right, right. Know? Well, that, that separation goes one way. And it is to keep government out of the church. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Uh, there is nothing that you can find in the Constitution or in history that suggests that our founding fathers intended to keep our faith out of government. Right. In fact, you read some of these logs recording sessions in Congress. And I found some where they were talking about the Holy Ghost. They were talking about the blood of Jesus. And you see, I mean, I, I believe sometimes God is mentioned more in those early logs of Congress yep. than you find in most churches today. That's probably right. Yeah. I mean, men full of passion and conviction about what is right. Of course, you know, you know, Dan Fisher and, and Paul Blair with Fairview Baptist and their Black Robe Regiment right. production right. and the stories about the preachers who left their black robes and the call to the pulpit to go out and fight the fight to win our freedom. That's what you're doing. It really is. You know, it's a different battlefield. Yeah, you're a black robe. Same war. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. When I look at those founders, one of the things that's happened to me since I've got into this God in America ministry is I've read a whole lot about the founders and they were godly men. They yeah. they were not deists and no. atheists and they were they were dedicated people. Opened Congress with prayer. Yeah. And it just kept going. Yeah. So so what you're doing is beyond Politics, it's, It really is. It's connected with God, right. and it's connected with the Spirit of God as, as He moves in, in all of this. Yeah. And you're right again with the spiritual warfare that we're engaged in. Right. It's, it's absolutely critical. There's, there's three areas of interest that I have a lot. Of course, teaching the Bible is just basic, but the Hebrew roots to all of this, right. American history, they were chosen, we're choosing. And then, and then prayer has been an, an important issue to me. I'm not a good prayer person. Mm. I know the value of prayer, and it's going to precede the revival. Amen. Yeah. 100%. And so I, I'm really yeah. glad you've been pushing prayer. Yeah, it really is fundamental. I mean, we spent four years in Tulsa under a ministry where prayer was central. Uh, the Lord had told the pastor, I don't want prayer ministry to be on the side. I right. want it to be central. And this is a prayer ministry. Right. And so we sat along with mature prayers, people who prayed, and their lives were devoted to prayer. Uh -huh. And the things we learned and the places we went in the Spirit transformed us. And so we look at every opportunity to come and, and pray with people and to teach prayer. Right now, we there's a, a ministry, Beautiful Restoration, that is a truly a beautiful ministry out of Edmond and really they're they're worldwide now but amazing ministry and they're they're coming up on a revival week so from September 19th through the 27th it's Sukkot Sukkot oh, yeah, sure. you know the uh, Feast of Tabernacles right. and so during that week they've scheduled a revival meetings every day every day on, on the property that God blessed them with and it's actually the property was owned by former Governor Edmondson. Hmm. And a beautiful white mansion. It was actually going to be destroyed, but God gave them favor and they bought the property. Supernaturally provided all the funds for it. 
and now they're hosting a revival coming up on that property. Well, we met with them and talked with them, and it was obvious God was speaking, you must precede this in prayer. So we've been meeting my wife and I going up there and teaching on prayer and praying with them every week leading up to this revival because there will be no revival without prayer. But where there is prayer, there will be revival. And these aren't religious prayers. They're not prayers for the sake of praying, but they're prayers that truly desire to connect with the agenda of heaven, you know, to see the will of heaven done on the earth, just like Jesus prayed. And so that's what we desire. And I believe that when that happens, and it is happening, you'll see it reflected in legislation. Mm -hmm. You'll see churches being changed, schools being changed. It'll begin to shift and change the whole landscape of the of the state and the nation. But it does start in prayer, and then everything comes out of prayer. Very good, very good. I, I agree. And there may be another great awakening coming. I believe it's yeah. I believe it's actually here, and we're just going to see it swell. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I've been pushing prayer for a while when I was preaching. And like I said, I'm not that good at prayer, but I sure see the power of it. Yeah. And my house is a house of prayer for the nation. Right. So we need it, and we need it in our churches and every every place. We need it in the capital. Exactly, so, exactly. So. Well, you know, what I found is that when you make it a part of who you are, and wherever you go, there goes prayer. Sure. And God will take you to certain places for the sake of prayer. Not just you, but because you carry prayer, He'll put you in a place so that there can be prayer there. That's really good. That's really good. Amen. Amen. We, we've just seen it. We're a living testimony of that. That the, me having this office, being in this capital, is not my effort. Right. It is his positioning, his alignment of things, because of our first devotion to him. And, you know, all glory to God. Very good. Very good. Well, I'm going to wind up t- today. I've taken a lot of your time. Oh, I and, love it. I can talk all day about well, it. Well, and I really, I could too. And it, this has just been fun. And I appreciate getting to know you. I hope our listeners uh, will, will pay attention to the things you're doing in, in the Senate yeah. and, and pray for you. Absolutely. As, as, and this whole work that's going on right now. Uh, this is just critical stuff. We're, you know, our culture is falling apart. Right. God's the only answer. He is. And it's not Trump. It's God. Yeah. And it's not government. Right. You know, I didn't come here to fix anything because the things that need to be fixed can't be fixed with new legislation. Right. That's right. You know? That's right. Uh, we want to protect freedom, but then we have to use that freedom. We have to allow God to use us in that freedom. Right. For it to affect real change. That's it. And God works through people. And yeah. he's not going to wave a magic wand and fix it all. Yeah. He's going to work through us. Absolutely. And so we, the people, have to step up. Absolutely. And so anyway, I'm going to close this. Thank right. you for your time. Yes. And as always, I want to encourage you who are listening to keep the light burning.